What's up, everybody? It's me, Heather, back with another episode of Strike Boat, my novel, which I am podcasting as a free audiobook. Um, Strike Boat, a novel about freedom, set along the 401 corridor in southwestern Ontario, Canada, during a very dystopian time in this fictional version of Canada's history in which a totalitarian cartel of elites are attempting to enact oppressive control. So today's date is February 2nd, 2022, and today's reading is part two of chapter 18, Truth. Funny word, truth, isn't it? I'm just reflecting on the nature of the press and the media that we're seeing in real life today. Um, The truth as portrayed by our government and by our media does not match with the truth that many of us Canadians are seeing empirically with our own eyes and ears and hearts on the streets. Um, And yet here we are, quite the time to be alive. And with that, I will get on to today's reading. Chapter 18, Truth, Part 2. When the broadcast of the Prime Minister's press conference ended, silence fell in the council chambers where Jenna and her friends were watching. Carrie reached over and paused the video. The screen froze on a still shot of some of the land that was now officially included in the evac zone. The blue vista on the horizon of one of the Great Lakes was in the background, marred by visible smoke plumes from several fires that rose up on parallel angles slanting to the sky. The ground was riddled with pustules and pockmarks. Outside the window, a murmur of trepidation rose above the crowd. The sound reached Jenna on the breeze, and between the two of them, Jenna felt a chill go through her. She reached out and pulled the screen towards herself. Mesmerized, she stared at the quagmire that the land she loved had been turned into. Goosebumps rose along her arms. Her eyes flicked from sinkhole to sinkhole as she took in the extent of the damage. She felt numb. With a heavy heart, she thought of the beautiful lake shores she had known and loved her whole life through. Huron. Like Huron in particular, that turquoise gem whose waters ran so crystal clear and cool and soothing, whose white sand beaches glistened, whose sunsets gleamed like polished rubies, more powerful and beautiful than any other sunsets that she'd ever seen. Huron's barriers would break this night, her pristine waters rushing inland, to become befouled with the filth that human inhabitancy had strewn across the landmass. An ache rose up inside of Jenna. She thought of the turtles, fish, birds, land animals, and wildlife, all disrupted, their habitats destroyed. Just like ours is, she thought. With a jolt, she realized that she'd have to leave, and the thought of that made her feel sick. She felt like crying at the thought, as it sunk in that she would probably never feel her body knifing through Lake Huron's gentle waves again, or the hot sand under her back as she lay with the sun baking into her, warm like a mother's embrace. 
She'd never jog along the miles of hard-packed sand and gaze out at the majesty of clean, fresh water, sparkling crystal blue, or ride her bike along the edge of rolling wheat fields, since the rich farmland southwestern Ontario was known for would be washed away as well. A sense of loss so powerful it broke her heart, washed over her like a wave, and following close behind it was a sense of fierce protection that arose from deep inside her. There has to be a way to save it, Jenna nodded slowly. There had to be a way to take what land was left after the subsidence, nurture it back to some degree of health, and protect it from further pillaging by the rich people who had done this tragic thing. Rich people who already had so much more than everyone else, who had enough money stashed away that they would never have to want for anything, but who had wanted even more. She felt sick inside. Greed was a terrible thing. She turned the screen away from her. She couldn't look at the decay that lust for money had wrought a moment longer. She went to stand beside the blown out window. The breeze that wafted through was like a soothing balm poured over aching wounds and she closed her eyes and let it cleanse her. The image of the sores that festered on the land she loved was burned onto her retinas. A tear slipped down her cheek. She felt the cool breeze chill the damp, the damp trace it left behind, and then she looked up at the sky. The sunset was golden and magnificent. Jenna felt a wash with it, lost in the beauty of the glory of colors that spilled over the landscape, gilding everything they touched with magic or so it seemed to her on this most nostalgic day. What can I do? She asked the question silently inside her heart. This land that we were given was a gift. It was a blessing and we ruined it. Wind Eagle was right. We let it be spoiled for love of money. But if there is anything in this world that I can do to save it, please help me think of it. Please tell me what to do to save our land. As she gazed at the glorious sky, Jenna felt despair inside so great it seemed like something in her very core was going to shatter. But then a voice spoke up within her heart. Stay, it said. Stay behind and start anew. Jenna felt a prickle trace its icy fingers up her neck into her hairline. She hugged herself and shivered. She cut a quick glance around the room, but none of the others were looking at her. She felt an open feeling in her stomach, and cautiously, she probed towards it. Stay? Her brow furrowed in confusion. But how am I supposed to stay behind if the whole thing's going to sink below the waterline? Just find high ground, and if you stay, you'll be all right. Start fresh. Heal what's been lost. Focus on tending to each other and the land that gives you life, not on money. Jenna's eyes began to water, but she wasn't crying. Suddenly she could see it, a colony of people foraging for survival in the wasteland that this area would become. Wearing dirty, ragged clothes and using old hand-powered implements, their bodies lively muscled healthy, strong from physical exertion, and she saw herself amongst them. A gasp slipped out between her lips, 
She pressed her fist against her mouth and turned her back to the window. As she looked around the room, she saw some of the faces of the people in it superimposed over the faces in her mind's eye. Lodi's in particular. Lodi was there. Her hands began to tremble, but deep down, she felt the first faint stirrings of hope. Suddenly, the idea of staying here as a free citizen, free from their injections and their debt program and whatever sinister intentions it concealed, felt like the most important thing that she would ever do. She felt the rightness of it swallow her and realize she was going to do it. She knew herself well enough to know that she would do it now that she had made up her mind. But the question was, would anyone stay with her? She knew the anti-corporate sentiment was out there. Hell, she could see it out the window. A crowd of people carrying signs and chanting slogans. Greed had caused this damage. And this time, people knew what had been done and who had done it. This was a battle of light versus darkness. There was no backing away from the truth. Corporate greed, or make that human greed, facilitated by the capitalist system that gave it the ability to exploit and plunder and destroy. Thanks to Anderson's slideshow, the evidence was there in black and white, exactly who the authors of this tragedy were. And this time, the masses had access to the evidence that proved it. The light had finally fallen onto the dark intentions of the powerful, and the core of it was ugly. The core of the whole system was ugly. Jenna looked at Andrew Summers and then at Anderson Arthur, who had been the victims of it this day. They would have to be protected. Cochrane would want to erase the proof of what he'd done. These two were as good as dead. Not if I get to Cochrane first. The thought gave her pause. She retreated back from it, then circled cagely towards it. In the evac zone, they'd be untraceable. The Prime Minister was going to shut the internet off and the cell service tonight at midnight. They'd have no cell phone records, no credit card receipts. They'd be completely off the grid. But would they be far enough away that even Eric Cochran couldn't find them? Or Gilles Doucette? She heard the noise from the crowd outside gather momentum and she thought about how crazy she would seem if she told them she was going to stay, or would she? These people had been duped. They believed in a system of order and process that had held them all under its sway, a system in which powerful interests were assumed to be reputable, but instead had proven time and time again that they were not. Corruption, tax evasion, bribery of politicians, greed, destruction of the natural environment, that's what the current power dynamics wrought. Greedy people were running things without integrity, and now they were trying to inject some kind of substance into people sight unseen and make them sign a paper giving the government financial control. Everyone's got their breaking point. The government was in bed with Cochrane. There was no other explanation for it, or maybe for all intents and purposes. Cochrane was the government, but today the people had witnessed how a tiny group of people had set a thing in motion that would cost the masses everything. Bigger than that, 
it would cost the earth a tragic loss. The loss of her beautiful lakes, her lands, her waters, her creatures. It was inexcusable. It was heartbreaking. And it must never, ever be allowed to happen again. From the people who had always had and always would have so much less, the ones who had done this terrible thing had found a way of taking even more. And they're not done now when everything is chaos, when everything's in turmoil over the subsidence and the potential flooding. The government steps in with this totalitarian agenda of forcing an injection into people just to get them on a bus to safety. Jenna frowned because something about that thought didn't ring true. It didn't resonate. This was not the way that things were done. This was renegade policy making on the fly and it was without integrity. She could feel that in her soul. Whatever the intention was, it was corrupt. The government was going to force people to sign papers, relinquish control of all their financial sovereignty and hand it to the government, no questions asked as a condition of evacuating a known danger zone. No, this was something new. This was something different. This was greed and avarice, capitalizing on a moment in the truest sense of the world, sorry, word, going for totalitarian control of people's bodies and their finances. There was something monumentally wrong with that, and Jenna felt it. She knew her constituents, knew it was a rare few among them that didn't pay their property taxes or keep their license plate stickers up to date. They were citizens, and in most cases, they obeyed their civic duties. They had to. The law always caught up to those like them. Her own father had been a boilermaker at a steel refinery in Sarnia before dying of apoplexy five minutes after punching out his time card on his 46th consecutive week of double overtime. Death in taxes, she could hear him say it still inside her mind. Jenna, my girl, those are the only two things you can count on when it comes to working for a living. Death and taxes. Lost in thought, she let her eyes go distance as her lips quirked upward in a sad half smile. Death and taxes are only for the rest of us, daddy. People that own companies and private helicopters also own offshore accounts. It was only when you worked for a living that you had to pay. Love of money had finally succeeded in getting what it wanted. After thousands of years of human effort and evolution, the result had been a world in which lying, cheating, and stealing was the only way to get ahead. A world in which sin and corruption were the only things that paid for hadn't flags board members headed off to whatever private inner sanctums people like that would have in place to hide behind, having had the foresight to erect a refuge because they knew they'd need it since they were the ones to set the wheels of slaughter into motion in the first place. But the world didn't have to be that way. She saw that now. All it would take was for a few like her to turn their backs, to stand up for freedom, for the right to live as free citizens of earth, no matter what the consequences, to take a disaster like the one that was unfolding and turn it into an opportunity for something better, the way that Deb and Vic had led a wildcat strike at the Fallon plant 
and demanded the right to confront the man in charge, and he had melted in front of them like the wizard in the movie, who had merely been a not-so-powerful human when the curtain was pulled back, exposed and puny and naked in the greed that he had shown, leaving his workers behind to hold the bag, and all of a sudden, Jenna wondered if the entire system was a house of cards that could just collapse in the same way. We could do it. We could unravel the strings that hold this thing together. We could go on strike, on strike from capitalism. Jenna's fingers fluttered up to touch her lips. The thought had struck a chord of truth. Her body thrummed and resonated with its reverberations. Flag would get away with this, for now. There would be some coverage of the disaster in the, covering in the coming weeks. Aerial images of flooded cities, people perched on rooftops waving signs that read SOS, ashy streaks of grime staining their faces, millions of people dead or displaced in Canada, one of the most beautiful places in North America befouled. And two or three years later, there would be an inquest and the men responsible would get off on a loophole or never be brought to justice in the first place. That was what had happened in the aftermath of the financial crisis in 2008, she knew. While everyone else in the world struggled to pick up the pieces, the Wall Street CEOs that had set the crash in progress had taken home million-dollar bonuses. One scapegoated man had served a paltry sentence. And that had been the extent of it. And that was what was wrong with how things were. But if we went on strike from that, her eyes narrowed in determination. I'll catch up to you eventually, Cochrane, she vowed. Someday I'll find you and I'll make you face the truth of what you did, but not today. She nodded, her lips firmed into a line. She would stay. She'd squat on this damaged land, give up on money. The people that stayed with her would have their freedom. They'd concentrate on living, on tending to the earth and to each other. A smile flashed hollow in her eyes. She turned to face the sky again. I'll try, she said inside her heart. A ray of amber sunlight broke from behind a cloud and landed directly on her face. A surge of warmth spread through her chest. She tipped her head back and closed her eyes and basked in it, savored it, letting it recharge her. When she turned around again, she noticed that the air in the room had turned morose. The conversation had shifted to leaving. Victor and Mary Lee were discussing the advantages of traveling the 401 to Windsor versus trying to get on the 402 west to Sarnia and out that way. Carrie sat in one of the plush wingbacks. Tamira curled up on his lap. He had his arms around her. She had her head on his chest, and both of them looked like they'd just lost their best friend. Anderson and Andrew Summers were discussing something urgently in a corner, off to one side. Their expressions anxious, peaked. Jay still held the laptop, but the look on his face was desultory. Jenna felt her features harden into a grim expression that stole the color from her cheeks. And when she spoke, her eyes were gray as thunderclouds. I'm staying, she said. 
I don't believe this bullshit narrative and I'm not going to be a part of it. The conversation halted abruptly. Her friends looked at her, silent. Jenna met their eyes head on. My father always told me that my time would come to make a stand. It turns out he was right. This is my time. I reject this agenda. I'm not giving up my autonomy. I'm staying to reclaim this land. Let them leave. The rich have all left anyway. I'm staying here to start again, like Wind Eagle. I'm not going to sign any papers, undertake financial servitude. I'm not going to take some kind of mystery injection. I'm going to stay here, wait it out, and see what's left behind after the fall. I'm going to stay. I'm going to try reclaiming this damaged territory in the name of freedom. And anyone that wants to stay can join me. In the aftermath of big disasters, hurricanes or tsunamis, they always work to get things back the way they were as quickly as possible. I'm not going to let them do that here so that some other asshole corporation can think of some other way to squeeze a couple dollars out of this land that kind of this land. That kind of thinking has done such damage. Let the capitalists have the lands outside the evic back zone. The lands inside will be the freedom zone where none of that will exist anymore. It's time to reinvent life as a human on this planet living in good faith. She paused, looking around at them. There were looks of consternation on most of their faces, but she was gaining ground inside her mind. There was an opportunity here to live the kind of life she's always wanted, secretly, internally, a chance to live a human life, freedom to choose to live in harmony with nature, harming no one. A fire of anticipation had begun to build within her. She felt like her body had become a column of joyous energy. Look, the system doesn't work the way it is. We saw that firsthand here today. If we leave, if we evacuate, well then we'll just end up clamoring for a way to survive outside the evac zone. We'll be refugees with nothing but the clothing on our backs to call our own relying on handouts from strangers and the government. People would be generous for a while, but that wears off. If we stay, we stay with nothing, but it'll be our nothing. We'll have the chance to start anew, to live off the land, to feed and clothe ourselves, to live and die by our own free choice, not by someone else's punch clock. We can make our little pocket of the world into something better, Something where the only thing that matters isn't paying bills and rent and car payments and interest on your credit cards or signing all of that away and handing over your freedom to the government, but something beautiful, spiritual, free. It's our chance to make a new beginning. We know the sentiment is out there. People are upset. People have been grumbling about corporate greed for years and nothing's done about it. This time they can't deny what happened. We've got them cold. We've got the evidence. We've got the slideshow. Lawrence Fallon all but admitted their guilt on national television. And thanks to Anderson and Mr. Summers here, we've got eyewitnesses. 
Jenna was breathing hard, her face flushed, but she was grinning inside. Oh, was she grinning inside. And she realized that she wanted this chance to live, to truly live, this opportunity to reset the clock on life more than she had ever wanted anything before. And somewhere weighed it deep down, she knew that she was going to get it. She had to make the others see. She felt compelled to. She looked around at them and laughed and held her hands palm up in the air. I can't explain it. It's a feeling that I have, that's all. But I say we take a stand. We've got a news crew here. If we broadcast the message that we're going to stay behind and try a different way of doing things, then maybe people will join us. We may only get a few weeks or a few months or a few years, but what an adventure. I wouldn't miss this opportunity for anything. I can't live a life where money's all that matters anymore. It's empty and it's basic and I'm done with that. Money ruins everything. It ruins families. It ruins love and it destroys the natural environment. It ruins freedom. Haven't you always felt inside that there was more to life? That there was a majesty? a beautiful human potential that we were overlooking, one that they want to subjugate, to turn us into consumer bots, to serve the chain that brings them wealth. I'm done with that. I'm done with money. It's how they've been enslaving us. I'm going to try to live without it because when it all comes down to money, people like them will do whatever it takes to get it, including this. Carrie was right. They'll stop at nothing. She paused, puffing air upwards to blow the ends of her bangs out of her eyes, and Andrew Summers spoke up unexpectedly. Not even murder, he said quietly. He laid his satchel on the table and popped the catches open, and they all saw the neat bundles of $100 bills. Cochrane paid me this today to help him get rid of Lloyd Preston's body after he shot him, for trying to speak up, for wanting to inform the proper authorities, for trying to get people off the bruise to save their lives. He delved a hand into the satchel and drew out a few bundles of cash. For this, he said, flinging the money away from himself. The bundles of bills landed on the floor around his feet. For this, they sold us out. And for this, I helped them. I'm as bad as they are. It was only supposed to be a job. It was only supposed to be a paycheck. And I helped commit a murder. Look, his blood is on my hands. Preston's blood is on my hands. This is his blood right here. It's literally on my shirt sleeve. Summers held up the cuff of his shirt and pointed to a smudge of rusty brown. It happened that when he stood up with his satchel, He had crossed into the view field of the still broadcasting laptop. Across the country, people who were watching the live stream sat closer to their screens enthralled. Summers dropped his head into his hands and sobbed. Great racking wails that shook his shoulders. Then he raised his tear-stained face and drew his arm across his eyes and nose. She's right, he said, pointing at Jenna. She's right. It's all to do with money, and if we live without it, we'd be better off. 
Carrie and Tamara were nodding vigorously. The others blinked at each other, but Anderson stepped forward to stand beside Andrew Summers. Jay swiveled the laptop minutely to include him in the shot. I was there when Cochran shot Lloyd Preston. Summers is right. Preston tried to do the right thing, and Cochran shot him. He shot him over money. Stop fracking. Do you have any idea what that would cost me? That was what he said to me. And when Preston got up and said that he was going to the authorities, Cochran killed him. Anderson finished speaking and rubbed his hand briskly down Summers' back. Summers fished around under the bundles of cash and pulled out his depleted bottle. He fumbled with the cap and Jenna saw his hands were shaking when he finally managed to get it off. He took a swig, the inrush of liquid cutting off the choke of a sob. His eyes were drawn again to the stain that marred the white perfection of his shirt cuff on the hand that held the bottle. He closed his eyes and drank, a pair of tears slipping out from beneath his red gold lashes to fall down his already tear-streaked cheeks, and Jenna felt her heart go out to him. Mary Lee was there, beside him. I'm guilty of it too, she said. I took their blood money too. The lives that have been lost on the Bruce and the ones that will be lost when the flood comes, their blood is on my hands as well because I knew. I knew about the fracking. I knew there had been no oversight or long-term studies of its effects. I knew that something like this might one day come from this, and I took the money, and I looked the other way. She put her arm around Summers' back and led him gently to the plush rolling chair the mayor usually sat in. Mary guided him into the seat and sat down with him. She put her arm around him, and he lowered his head on the onto the shoulder pad of her smart navy business suit. Mary laid her head on his, and both of them closed their eyes. Their grief and their guilt and their shame were palpable, and watching them only strengthened Jenna's resolve further. Nodding, she turned back to the others and continued, See? People have a breaking point. I've reached mine, and it looks like Mr. Summers here has reached his, too. You can't blame him. He's been forced today by money to do things that he'd never normally do. And the horror of what he helped them do has made that money meaningless. Look, we know there's discontent out there with the way the rich are running things. There have been people in the news. Who, Jenna? Wanda Blake broke in. What people? Them. Out there. The protest movement, said Tamara jumping off of Carrie's lap and pointing out the window. Jenna's right. If we try pulling something like this, people will join us. The momentum's there. It's been waiting for a long time to get some concrete proof like this, some catalyst to provoke change and the opportunity to carry it out. Ricky Jarvis was nodding too. That thing that you were saying about how we sacrifice our dreams to punch a clock, just to get by in this consumerist system? That was me. I wanted to be a veterinarian. And now I'm just an unemployed temp worker from an auto plant. I hated my job, and I'm not the only one who's been craving change. I'm on this online prepper forum. It's got thousands of people in Ontario alone that aren't just hoping something happens to break society in two 
They're actively preparing for it, growing gardens, canning vegetables, finding energy alternatives to try to heat their homes. I bet they'd stay, he said, nodding once more and looking around at the others. I'm almost positive of it. First Nations, too, Carrie said. You heard my nan today. They're already on their way. They told us that. It's why they came. They're staying. My people know this land. They know old rituals, old medicine, old ceremonies. If anyone can heal this land, restore the balance, it's them. If this part of the world went back to how things used to be before the capitalist settlers came, I swear to God my nan would think she'd died and gone to heaven. He was nodding fiercely, his forehead creased in concentration, and he paused a moment to gnaw on a hangnail, considering. Fuck yeah, he finally said, dragging his thumb out of his mouth and wiping it on his jeans. You're fucking A right they would. My people lived without money until a few hundred years ago. We lived in harmony with the land. We practiced conservation. Haven't you ever heard that old expression, that the indigenous who took an animal did so with respect, used every molecule, wasted nothing? It's because we knew we had to take care of the earth if we wanted her to take care of us. And now you hear it in the news, educated people talking about sustainability like it was them that thought it up. But it's a fucking sham. It's just a soundbite that they use on the news to spin the story now. Just noise they make to lull you into thinking that you're not contributing to the destruction of the earth, the race to the end of the resources. That version of sustainability, recycling plastic bottles, man, that's such a scam. Our way, the indigenous way, our whole way of life was built on real sustainability. It was built on taking only what you needed to survive. We respect the land we live on. We know that our future generations will as well. We live and breathe with nature. It's a part of us and we're a part of it and we hold that sacred. White man brought money here and money made him rape this land to make him rich and watching him do it broke the First Nations people's hearts. Every day we watched the place we love become destroyed. It was incremental in the past, but now it's utterly complete. And now you're saying you want to stay here in the land that white man's greed has decimated and help that land to live again? Fuck yeah, I'll stay with you, Jenna, on one condition. We go back to those old ways. We take only what we need to survive, and we do our best to clean up the mess they left behind. Money can't buy you oxygen, or water to drink, or air to breathe. Only spirit and the earth can give you that, and she's been weakened. She needs our help. I'm with you. Let's stay behind and put her right again. Hell yeah, son, said Wanda Blake. Carrie's right. I want to stay. I'm not going to let the lights of Donald King and his boys drive me off the land that me and Chester loved. No way. I'll be leaving when the good Lord sends the waves to wash me away and not before. Mary Lee was blinking around at them a little desperately. Well, Tamara and I are leaving. The Prime Minister said it isn't safe. He wouldn't say a thing like that unless it's true. We've got to go. We've got to get the car and get some things together. Make our way to the USA. We've got to. I'm not going. 
Tamara told her quietly. She crossed to Mary and knelt before her. Clasping her mother's hands, she smiled at her lovingly and sadly. I'm not going, Mama. I don't want to. I want to stay with Carrie. I don't want to sign my financial independence away at my age and resign my life to God knows what kind of control. I don't want to go to parts unknown to take my chances in some government refugee center in Michigan. Remember what happened in the Superdome, or whatever it was called, after Katrina? Girls got raped in there, Mama. I read about it. People died. They died like bees trapped in a hive. Living people stacked on top of rotting corpses. That's how your government's rescue operation's gonna go. They'd have to part with too much precious money to make things right for people. They're never gonna do it, Ma. They're going to do what guys like them have always done. The bare minimum. For the least amount of time as possible. And after that, we'll all be scattered to the winds, homeless and displaced and struggling to survive. Mary's eyes welled up with tears. For a second, just for a second, her daughter's words had conjured up the image of some long-forgotten footage of the horrors of the post-Katrina Stadium Rescue Center. And in that span of time, her mind had superimposed her daughter's face on that of one of the lifeless corpses that she'd seen. I just, she faltered, looking around at them imploringly. It's what the authorities are telling us is right. I want to. They'll never let you live, Summer said from beside her. You know too much already. Cochran and his friends will never let you live. They'll track you down. They'll find a way to get you. The world outside the evac zone will still be their world, and they're the rulers of that world. If you stay, if this place becomes what these guys here are describing, some kind of prehistoric wildland, Cochran won't be able to find you here. It'll be our world again, a little piece of it anyway. Cochran and his boys can't threaten trees or fish or wildlife to make them tell them where you are. But in the outside world, they can. How? They're the fucking boss of that. Anderson had been silent for a long while. He stepped forward now and came to stand beside Andrew Summers. Tell them. Tell them what you heard in the utility room. Tell them what he said about the injections. He put his hands on Summer's shoulders and gave him a reassuring squeeze, then looked at Jay Markson. Make sure you catch this. Jay adjusted the angle of the laptop so that it was facing straight at Andrew Summers. Summers looked into the camera, then he put his hands to his forehead and rubbed at his face. He sighed. If you say so, boss, it's dark. Y'all better be ready to hear some dark-ass shit, because what I heard Cochran say this afternoon, when he didn't know I was listening, was about the darkest shit I've ever heard. Y'all don't want to live in a world where dark like that exists. At least I don't. Jenna frowned. It's something about the injections, isn't it? Something about that sounded off to me when Wall announced it. His face was flushed, like he knew that he was saying something low integrity, but he had no choice. He didn't, Anderson said. Not really. 
not if Cochrane told him to. The man's a puppet of Cochrane's. They all are, all the world leaders. He rubbed at Andrew Summers' back again, encouragingly. Go on, he said, leaning down. Go on and tell them. They can handle it. Rip off the band-aid so the healing can happen. Make sure you say it loud enough so Jay can pick it up on the live stream. Jay moved closer, angled the still broadcasting laptop so that it showed Andrew Summers full screen. Around the world, people watching hung on every moment. Slowly, looking around himself warily, Andrew Summers unscrewed the cap from his bottle and took another drink. He let the air escape him in a hiss as he put the cap back on, and then he looked directly into the webcam and shuddered. I was in the utility room, he said. The utility room at Flag Headquarters earlier today. I went in there after I cleaned up Preston's body to cry and drink a little. I think I was in shock. The utility bar is in the utility room, and so is our little storehouse, where we keep large cases of incidentals, like paper towels and toilet paper. I had gone in there to hang my head in shame for what I'd done, helping clean up the body of Lloyd Preston after Cochran shot him. He broke off, shook his head, and cursed. Christ, I just broke rule number one. You don't say shit about what goes on at Flag, and if there are any questions, please see rule number one. Whatever, man, it's out there now. I might as well tell you the rest of it. So there I am, kind of curled up in a corner with a bottle of booze, clutching a bag of money, crying. This money, right here. He held up a fistful of cash, then let it flutter out of his hand onto the ground. Cochran comes in. This was just before he called them all together and told the rest of all the billionaires to hit the road, retreat, get outside the evac zone. So he comes into the utility room on the phone doesn't see me sitting there in the corner, hiding behind the boxes. He starts rummaging in the utility bar. Got himself some fine old bottles of scotch in there that cost more money than my house. And he's rummaging around in there on the phone, talking to someone, grabbing his best bottles to take with him. I heard what he said. He said, Operation Resolute is a go. Initiate the procedures. He talked about mobilizing buses, getting some kind of injections out of storage, and getting them ready. He wanted enough doses put on each bus, one for every seat. He wanted a crew deployed, one per bus, and he wanted them armed. Summers broke off and took another deep, long drink. When he finished, he looked at the camera with tears in his eyes. He even said to give the injections to the children. Don't worry, he said. There's always a market for the children, he said. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it sounded sinister as fuck. Anderson was nodding. I know what it means, at least I think I do. Rumors float around my father's circles that for a price, the sexual exploitation of children is readily available. There's a cobalt mine up in northern Ontario. It's in the Crown Forest. No way in besides a long dirt logging road. 
you got to follow it for like two or three hours from the closest civilization. Cochrane's got a compound up there. I saw it, toured it with my dad one time when I was there to check the samples of the cobalt. Place has barracks for like tens of thousands of people. It's got an electronic perimeter around it. If I had to guess, I'd say that's where the buses Prime Minister Wall just spoke of will be taking people to, and not for any good purpose. If they're taking the kids there, that thing that Andrew heard about there always being a market for a children, that's what I fear his plan is. Anderson broke off and looked at Summers. How long ago was it that you heard him say this, Andrew? Shoot, not that long ago, just before we got in the helicopter and came down here. What was that, like three o'clock? Yes, Anderson said. Yes, it was. He came towards Jay and crouched in front of the laptop that was streaming. People watching, hear me now. Three hours ago, Eric Cochran ordered the deployment of buses, of injections, of armed escorts, and then instantly you heard the Prime Minister of Canada repeat it. Transit will be shut down, he said. Cell service, power, all of these things will end at midnight. And for those of you who don't have personal vehicles, buses will be waiting to take you away. Buses that you have to take an injection that's somehow supposed to be for your own good and everybody else's to get on. But there's nothing good about them. I believe what's in those shots is microparticles that somehow interact with the electronic barrier system at that compound. I believe that once you take those shots and get inside, they'll activate the perimeter and whatever they've injected into you will stop you from leaving. I believe they'll make you work in the mines to retrieve that cobalt. I believe the debt forgiveness is some form of control. Resist that. Don't trust the news. Don't trust the narrative. Don't trust any of it. Follow your gut. Watching from home, people everywhere heard Anderson say this. They heard it loud and clear, and then his face glitched once. It became pixelated, as though snow was on the line, and then the live broadcast went dark. In the council chambers, the whine of feedback issued forth from the laptop. Jay winced, then turned the screen to face toward him. He entered a few commands, a look of worry on his face. Jenna heard the rapid-fire clicking of his fingers on the keyboard. What happened, she asked, coming to stand behind him and look over his shoulder. They shut us down, Jay said. We've been deplatformed. Our channel's gone. It's vanished. It's not even on YouTube anymore. They ghosted us. Jenna looked at Anderson. Can they do that? They have that kind of power? Oh, yeah. No question they do. Cochrane's cousin Beatrice Fillmore leads a cartel of all of the biggest tech companies in the world. They own all major platforms. Bia could make this happen easy. He thought about it, scrubbing a hand over his mouth. She has ice in her veins, that one. A strange look came over his face. Anderson, what is it? Jenna asked him, puzzled. It's just... 
Well, now that I'm thinking about Bia and her big tech bandmates, it's ringing a bell that I heard them talking one time recently at a meeting. You'd be surprised the things you overhear when you're the lone brown guy in the building. People tend to forget that you're there. Anyway, I was taking a coffee break, sitting in the lunchroom at the back table when Bia and her cronies walked in. They were using the Flag HQ for a meeting, had a brunch table set up by the window, white linens, silk napkins, the whole nine. I overheard them talking as they filled up on truffles and Danish. I can't quite remember what it was about exactly, or at least not the details, but I do recall that I was left with a vague sense of unease. It was something to do with social credit, some kind of app or technology that they were there to discuss, squabbling over whose app would be the most profitable as usual, but that part was only a skirmish. They were in lockstep on the main agenda, which was that all of their platforms would be developing this app that wouldn't enable the big tech corks to get total control over the person's buying powder. You've heard of the algorithms, right? The ones where you look up an item online and then the next time you go on social media, all the ads that you see are about that. Well, this is like that, only one step further. You would only be allowed to spend your money on shit they own. The app wouldn't work on small businesses. That kind of thing would be completely eliminated. So would cash. The whole thing was based on a ranking. Each user would be evaluated based on their browsing and also their physical location. You go to a protest? They know. You go to a speakeasy? Listen to a dissenting voice? They know. And down goes your score. Next thing you know, your kids can't get into the college of their choice because only the top ranking, meaning most obedient or most wealthy, families have the kind of ranking that lets them get in there. He swallowed uncomfortably and looked around at them. The fact that they shut us down now, that means we hit the hit nail on the head about Project Resolute. It's everything we feared it is. The kids, the cobalt, the injections, everything. Probably the social credit act too. I said not to trust it because it was all about control and they must have heard me. Jenna slammed the laptop closed. Well, then it means we're right. We're accurate. Everything we said and they don't want anyone to hear us. That makes me more determined than ever to stay behind. Escape this tyranny. Live free or die trying. Are you guys with me? Mary's face was ragged. The conflict raged in her. The thought of what to do, of what was right. Her eyes cut over to the remnants of the window, and it was plain to see that she was thinking about the helicopter that had shot at them. Carrie came to kneel before her. We'll be okay, Miss Lee. I'll take care of you guys. I promise. I, I'll do my best to keep you safe. Until this point, Lodi James had been silent, standing by the window. He cleared his throat, waited until he had the group's attention. If you guys are really serious about staying here, he told them calmly, I'm with you. He cut his eyes to Jenna, and she saw inside them a little more of the hurt she'd noticed earlier. I've done my share of rich men's bidding. 
What do you think the so-called war on terrorism is? A war for money, that's all. It's about the oil. It always has been. And I've done my time in service to them. I've got blood on my hands, too. He walked over to stand beside Andrew Summers and Mary Lee. He hunkered down to eye level with them. You're not the only ones. He nodded, looking directly into each of their eyes in turn. I've got the blood of money on my hands as well, and it haunts me just the same as it does you. But maybe if we stay, this one act of atonement will wash us clean. Summers raised his chin a little. He gave a tiny nod at Lodi, who smiled in return. Standing, Lodi turned to face the others once again. If we're staying, then the best bet is to stay here, right here in the municipal building. All of us together, strength in numbers. They say that for a reason. Plus, we're on the third floor, which means we might be safe from some of the flooding for a while until it rises up this far. That might just give us enough time to get out. If it was up to me, I'd send people out on foraging expeditions. Now, where there's still a little daylight, I'd want a boat and some supplies. I would pack food and water into the boat and tie it on high ground. And if the flood water rises high enough to reach us, then we'll get in the boat and see where it takes us. That's the way to do it, he finished nodding firmly and turning to look at Jenna. One by one, they all looked at her, and she felt the weight of leadership settle even more heavily on her shoulders. But then a watery, tremulous smile broke across her features. Really? You all are with me? Really? Carrie was the first to move. He crossed to where she stood in three quick strides and held his hand out, palm down. I'm in, he said. I'd rather die free of my own stupidity than exist in a world of totalitarian capitalist control. I'm staying. Jenna felt a nervous thrill go down her stomach, but she put her hand on top of his. Lodi came next with Wanda. He had an arm around her shoulders, and she looked up at him, hesitating briefly. I'm old, she told him simply and he saw the fear inside her eyes. I'll take care of you, he told her quietly. She drew a deep and shaky breath, looking up into his eyes, and then she put her hand on top of Jenna's. Okay, Wanda said. I'm being brave. I can do that, long as you're beside me. I'm in. Lodi put his right hand on top of hers. You're one badass lady doll, he said giving her shoulders a squeeze with his other arm. Then he looked at Jenna and nodded soberly. I'm in. Tamara knelt a moment longer in front of Mary's chair. I'm sorry, Mom. I love you, but I have to stay. Her voice broke on the last word. She pressed her knuckles to her mouth, then jumped up in a rush and hurried over to place her hand on top of Lodi's. I'm staying, Tamara said. A sob of anguish slipped from Mary's lips. Tamara winced, but she didn't turn around. Ricky Jarvis looked at Jamie. The two of them had been staying off to one side, out of the camera angle, because Jamie didn't want to be seen as biased 
when it came time to broadcast her next report from outside when Janet went to make her speech. Rick picked up Jamie's hand and squeezed it. Whatever you decide to do, he said, I'll understand. He held her gaze a moment longer. Then he let her go and walked across the room to place his hand on top of Tamara's. Behind his back, Jamie stood there, making mental notes, taking everything in. One day I will write the story of this moment, she was thinking. Making a mental note to pack pens and notebooks into her rucksack when they went to go get supplies. She looked at Ricky's muscular shoulders, then let her eyes slide down his back. When her glance lighted on his denim-clad butt, a devilish smile broke out across her face. She came to stand beside him. I'm a prepper, too. She smacked her hand down on top of his with a grin. I'm in. Anderson looked at Andrew Summers. You're free to choose whatever you wish. I release you from the bonds of servitude to flag. Honorable, honorable discharge. If you ever need an employment reference, you know who to call. Thank you, sir, for everything. Go and be a free man. Anderson walked over and placed his hand on top of Jamie's. I'll stay, he said. Vic and Deb came next. Janice Joplin was right, Deb said. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. I'm with you. I'm in. Vic? Agreed. They placed their hands on top of Anderson's. The group now made a ten-sided star. There were two people left that hadn't joined the others, Andrew Summers and Mary Lee. Andrew Summers took Mary's hand in his. Stay with us, he implored her. Please, for me. Mary's face crumpled. She let out an anguished sob and delved a hand into her blazer pocket, withdrawing a crumpled Kleenex. She dabbed at her eyes, looking from Andrew to Tamara. I'm afraid, she said. Me too, said Summers. But being hunted down by Eric Cochran's even scarier, and that fox guy gives me chills. They won't find us here. Inside what she called this, the Freedom Zone. Out there they will and your life will be as good as over. Summers rose, holding out a hand to her. Mary drew a deep and watery breath, and then she took it. Summers helped her stand. They came to fall in line beside the others, placed their hands on top of the heap, closing the circle. A moment of silence followed as they all looked around at each other, as the enormity of what they were about to do sank in. This was ballsy stuff. It was more than civil disobedience. It was a gamble in which they didn't know if even the basic needs of their bodies could be met after the fall. But if they took their chances, something wonderful might happen. Freedom. The chance to start anew. To live their lives the way deep down they'd always wanted to. To give it a try at least. True freedom truly loving life without the shackles of money binding them to jobs they didn't love and service to a system that they didn't believe in, which had been set up to exploit them. The thought that something better might be out there, something free and beautiful, beckoned to them from outside the open window. 
It was an electrifying feeling. Deb caught Victor's eyes and grinned at him. It was infectious, and the euphoric mood that they had felt after the plant had been shut down was back in force. It was a scary time, but it was also a time for optimism. Well, all right then, Jenna said with a laugh. Let's start figuring out a plan. They gave their stacked hands a pump, then broke apart and headed for the plush wingback chairs of Council Chamber. So that concludes the end of chapter 18, Truth. Plenty of truth in that chapter, guys. And as I was reading it, I just, again, can't help marveling about the parallels with what we're actually experiencing here in Canada today on this day, February 5th of 2022. Next up, chapter 19, Revolution. And I think it's going to be more of the same. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, Saturday night, if you're down at the freedom protests and the freedom rallies anywhere in this country or this world for that matter, God love you. I send you a blessing of peace, a blessing of harmony, a blessing of compassion, of unity, of love, of protection. Stay free. God bless.